0: Okay, well today we're going through Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, but let's go ahead and review the last few weeks. Um, a couple weeks ago I made a couple points, three points about forgiveness regarding Matthew six fourteen through 15. Can anybody tell me one or two or three of those points? Future sins are not forgiven already? Future sins are not forgiven ahead of time. Very important point to know. Uh, do you remember the other two points? Jen?
1: Forgiveness is conditional.
0: Forgiveness is conditional. Now, does conditional forgiveness equal work salvation? But according to the Bible. According to some people's philosophy or theology, if you say there's conditions to salvation or forgiveness, they they think that equals work salvation. Now, if that's true, then Jesus is preaching work salvation. That's not true because the Bible condemns work salvation. So, work salvation cannot equal that. All right? There's one more point I made. Daniel? You can lose your
1: sin.
0: You can lose forgiveness. You can lose forgiveness. And uh, we didn't really go into this passage, but I admonish you to go read the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. You see what happened to him. And Jesus said at the end of that that parable, such will happen to you, to his disciples now. Such will happen to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart all the things he's committed against you. So we see this here. And the other point I made regarding this forgiveness is regarding your atonement view. If your atonement view does not match match the biblical definition of forgiveness, then what should you do with your atonement view? You should change it. Yeah. If your atonement view consists of Adam's sin being transferred to you, your sin being transferred to Jesus, and Jesus' personal righteousness lived on earth transferred to you, and that's what forgiveness is, then you have a wrong definition of forgiveness and a wrong atonement view. It should cause you to seek after the truth in that issue. Okay. Um, we asked about prayer and fasting. Uh, should you fast?
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. It's ah, so not a matter of this, a matter of when, right? Tell me one of, these, one of the things, one of the benefits of fasting. To fast. Uh, so. John, denial of yourself. Denial of yourself. <coughs> to
1: spend time
0: with God. Spend time with God. That's right.
1: I always feel like, uh, like it's kind of a spiritual picture of being
2: empty of ourselves and like allowing Him to fill, feed us, and fill us.
0: Amen. Enough time. Matthew four four. Not live the alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So yes, it is a picture of that. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right. So lastly, we talked about the uh, the single eye. And uh, what's the problem with someone who tries to look in two different directions with one single eye? Uh, is, is it possible? No. With one eye to look in two different directions? Mm-hmm. This is exactly why Jesus said you can have two masters. Can you love God and serve God, and then love and serve mammon, too?
1: No.
0: no. That's right. You can't have two masters. Uh, now, I talked about worrying a little bit. If you're worrying about things, what does that mean about you? Jenna? Trust in God. Trust in God. Uh, if you're not worrying about things, what else could it mean?
1: You're
0: not obeying. You're not obeying, that's right. Because God says not to worry. You're complaining. Uh, you have a lack of faith. And the people in, the, in this, the Jesus talked about in this passage, they're worrying about their actual needs. Most people in this day, in, in day and age, they don't worry about needs. They worry about what they want. And whether they get that or not. Most of us can't say we've been to this place where we've had a lack of need, where we've had to, you know, we, I, I, personally, I had been there, but it's because of my sin. At one point in time, I was homeless. I had nothing. I was down to 160 pounds, and my, you can see the bones in my face. I was so so thin. That's because of my rebellion against God. I went at to for a period of time. I didn't want to walk in His ways. I wanted to walk in my ways. And God punished me and chastised me for doing it. But I didn't do it because I was serving God. But even if we're to that point, what should we do? About birds and flowers. You think about birds and flowers? The birds don't toil and plant and reap. But God provides for them. The flowers don't don't toil and 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 make their clothing, but they still look beautiful. So if God's gonna pass the, the flowers into the oven when the new heaven and the earth comes, how much more will he clothe you? So when we think about if we're we're to this point maybe now or in the future where we're, our needs or our concern for our needs not being met, think about birds and flowers. Because you're of more value than that. You're made in God's image. And I, th- I think the, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Matthew 6:33. but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You know, if, if you'll just seek first God, his righteousness, you will have no concern for your needs Ever provide for you. He knows you need these things. Alright, Matthew 7 <clears throat> 1 through 6 Judge not that you be not judged for what judgment you judge you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you and why you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye for how can you say to your brother "Let remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine. I say trample them under foot, under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. This uh, passage um, is hard not to laugh. I mean, that sounds kind of funny, but when I'm in open air preaching, I've, you know, I've been doing it for six years now or so and this judge not why, comes up all the time. And I can't remember one time that I was preaching open and this didn't come up. And it's been thousands of times. I can't remember once where it didn't come up. And people will take this verse, they'll take verse 1, and not even all of verse 1, just the first two words of verse 1, and say, judge not. I even have, I remember when the we to Daytona Beach, floor, I think it was this past year, maybe it was the year before that, I can't really remember exactly, where this guy, it was I think John was preaching, or Jesse was preaching, I can't remember... But this this guy said, uh, "Judge not," and uh, the preacher asked him, "Where's that found in Bible?" I said, "Well, it's one of the Ten Commandments." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was the first time. The preacher, Daniel, yeah, the first year. yeah, I, I can't remember who was preaching, but someone was preaching that, and he said that. And I just, I was taking, I was camera. And you can hear me just laugh out loud on the camera because that's how bad is God in our society. They think that's one of the Ten Commandments, and where are they getting this from? Where are they getting it from the, the American churches? It's visible visible Christianity in America which one of their favorite commandments is judge not. And why is that one of their favorite commandments? Because they're living in sin each and every day. And who hates to be judged? Sinners. In my experience, the only people I've found who don't like judging are those who feel judged by your words. If they were clean in in their living, they were living holy before God and pure before God, they wouldn't have a problem with judging at all. Because they have nothing to be judged. Okay? So people take the first two words, judge not. They don't take the rest of it. And what I think you're going to find here, and we're going to make this a very thorough study here this morning on judging, go to the four or five different passages, but we're going to go through this one first, and see what the Bible has to say about this issue, so we can get this down. So when we encounter this, in witnessing in the open air, we can, you know, people are going to bring up other passages, and they're going to do the same thing to do with this one. Judge not. Just one little part of it. And not read it all in context to see what it, exactly what it says. So judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, if I'm in the open air, and I say, uh, drunkards are on their way to hell. Fornicators are on their way to hell. Liars are on their way to hell. I, I'm, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm giving this standard out there, which is from the Bible, right? And the standard I'm using in the open air is going to be measured back to me. The judgment I use will be judged back to me. So we do need to be careful what we say. We need to be careful we're not judging unrighteously. Be careful we're not uh, presuming we know someone's motives regarding an issue. Because the Bible says, with the manner you judge, you will be judged. So as you're you're judging other people unrighteously, God's going to say, okay, that's the way you're going to be? You're being a hypocrite? You're judging unrighteously? Now I'm going to judge you for doing that. Okay? So... With the manner we judge, we shall be judged. So if we're uh, unmerciful towards people, God's going to be less merciful towards us because we're involving ourselves in sin by doing that. Okay. Uh, so with what judgment you use it should be measured back to you. Um, you know, I can't remember exactly where this is, but Jesus says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to dealing with people... Whether they're sinners or whether they're Christians, we should always give them the benefit of the doubt and think mercifully towards them before we think judgmentally towards them. Okay? Because as loving our neighbor as ourselves, hopefully that's the way you want someone to, to be towards you. To give someone the benefit of doubt. Do not think bad of them right from right at the start, right from the back. Okay? So we want to be merciful towards people, and God desires mercy. And, you know, think back to the woman who came to Jesus' feet and washed, her, washed his feet. He said, he has been for, she has been forgiven much, loves much. So, if we've been forgiven much, we will love much. Not only that, we'll offer forgiveness towards others to realize how much mercy was given to us. Everyone's going to be attitude to talk about this. All the mercy was given to us, we want to extend that mercy to others. So, our, our first inclination when preaching to people or witnessing to people, should be mercy, not judgment. Because that's what God gave us. We want to be, that's what, that should be our attitude towards them. Okay? And now here we're getting to the, the really, the whole point why Jesus said, judge not. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? So I want you to picture this. Now, we, and a, a while back, we went through the Epistle of James, and we, I actually went back and reviewed this. So I wanted to see what I taught you then. I had on the whiteboard, and actually drew a picture for you. And let's see if you remember this picture. Now, what 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 did you see in this picture, Sarah? Somebody with a log in their eye, and
1: somebody with another
0: thing. And if you swing to it, a... yeah, they got the log in the eye. If someone has a log in their eye, and they're gonna try to even get close enough to see some of the speck in what are they gonna do? To that person, <laughs> <laughs> Now they're knocked down on the ground. You didn't help them at all. So maybe you're trying to help them get the speck out of their eye, and in the process you've knocked in. And, and this this word here, uh. Translated as plank means heavy timber, a log, a, a something you use to, to hold up a roof that big. Okay, so you can imagine like a telephone pole sticking out of someone's eye, all right, or something similar. Uh, that's a, and, and so what it means is that it's obvious, to not just to them, it should be obvious to them, it's obvious to everyone around them. But they're, they're so, either they don't acknowledge it or don't want to acknowledge it, it's like they, they are in a forest and don't see any trees. You know, there's this big log sticking out of eye, but they can see this tiny little speck in their brother's eye. There's something wrong with that. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them here. So you hit someone in the eye, and you can't come close enough to that person to even help them to remove the speck. It's because you're so you, you can't get close enough to remove this speck out of their eye. Now, the word translated as speck here uh, could also mean a splinter. Like splinters are getting your finger. If you ever had a splinter in your finger, it's tough to get out. It requires precision. You you can't you can't usually get it out with just playing around with it. Okay, you have to have a precision instrument like a needle, usually to get it out, or a clo- or some kind of pin, to get this splinter out of your finger. It takes preciseness, so it's a very uh, important you know operation. Now it's in your eye, a splinter in your eye. So the eye is a very fragile instrument, a very fragile part of your body. It's not like your skin, which can take things uh, more than it can. Uh, so you need to be very precise. You need to get very close. You need to have two good eyes to see what you're doing. But someone has a log in there. Do they have two good eyes to see what they're doing? Can they get close enough to be precise in their removal of this, this splinter from this person's eye? Then a splinter in this person's eye is a serious thing because it can really harm them. It can hurt them. Very painful. They need it removed. So it, it's, a, it's an important procedure. It needs to be done. But the question is, is someone who has a log in their eye, are they fit? Are they capable of performing this procedure? No, they're not. They're not capable. They're not uh, equipped to perform this. And it goes on to say in verse 4, How can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. So not only can, how can you remove it, but how can you even say that? It's so obvious, If something much bigger in your eye. You need to take care of your own situation first before you even think about your brother. It'd be like me going through the open air and the night before I'd gotten drunk and, and you know, done all kinds of other sins and I went into the open air and I started proclaiming against these sins. You know, I didn't take the log out of my own eye first before I could take the speck out of their eye. And I'm heaping judgment upon myself as the first couple of verses say by not taking the plank out of my own eye first. You know, so here's, a, here's a, a, another uh, application for children. If you're thinking about tattletaling on your brother or sister, but you're doing the very thing you're about to tattletale on them for, then you've got a log in your eye. Or maybe you've done something worse. Maybe your brother's are doing something wrong, but you've been lying to your parents and your, and your brother's and They don't even know about it. Well, you have a log in your own eye. And you to take that out first before you take a speck out of your brother's eye or sister's eye. So there's an application for children there. that You need to understand this, that you need to get your life straight before you try to straighten out someone else's life. So there's this principle that Jesus is bringing forth in here of self-examination first, judging yourself first. And once you've done that and you have a clear conscience, then you're fit to judge someone else. But not until then. And that's what we see here in verse 5. And This, this is the crux of the issue what Jesus is concerned about here. Hypocrite. He's concerned about hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus had his strongest words for hypocrites. And on Judgment Day, he'll have his strongest words for hypocrites then. Don't be a hypocrite. Be genuine, be sincere in your faith, and live for the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. So hypocrite. And then it gives you a procedure of what you need to do. First, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So there's a three-step process here. You acknowledge the plank in your own eye. If you don't acknowledge it, you're never going to remove it. And you acknowledge it first. Two, you're going to get it out. And three, then you will see. Not only do you see your own life clearly, you see the lives of others clearly to help them. But if you haven't helped yourself with the gospel truth, how can you possibly help others? How can you possibly help others if you haven't helped yourself? It's like having cancer and having a cure to cancer. And you still have it, and you haven't drinking the vial of this cure to cancer, but you're offering it to other people. Well, why don't you take it yourself? Take care of your own situation first, and then you can help others. So you must be living a pure life. You know this. This reminds me. Going through this reminds me of something we see in 2 Samuel chapter twelve, verses one through seven. And I'm not going to read the story, but you probably already know about it. It's a story when David. Had already committed sin with Bathsheba. And he hadn't repented yet. And now Nathan the prophet comes to him. And Nathan the prophet gives him the story. This man who had many sheep. they came and stole this one little ewe lamb from this man who had one lamb. And David got furious. Angry. And he said, that man needs to be killed. Tell me who he is. And Nathan said, that man is you. Now you see, David was quick to judge. He was quick to say, I want to that man killed. I want his life right here. But he was talking about himself. So we need to be slow to judge, quick to extend mercy, quick to self-examination, and slow to others' examination if we haven't examined ourselves first. So there's this principle here of exa- examining yourself first so you don't turn out to be a hypocrite. And it all goes back to keeping a tight ring in your tongue, too. Unless your religion be worthless in God's eyes, as James uh, chapter 1 talks about, or chapter 2. So we have this judge not uh, idea of being kind of thrown out the window of the way people in the open air ought to say, that, like, you can't judge at all. You no, know, you can judge. In fact, Jesus gives you the procedure for which you can judge. You need to acknowledge, you need to remove, and then you can see. But if you're not going through that process, you are judging unrighteously or judging hypocritically. And God is against your kind of judging. Okay? Now I want to go to some other passages that talk about this issue. First is John 7, 24. In this passage, uh, the Jews want to kill Jesus. Jesus has just gotten done uh, a couple chapters before healing the man who was lame for 38 years on the Sabbath. And because he healed someone on the Sabbath, they wanted to put him to death. And this is what he says to them. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So he's saying to them, you're judging according to appearance. You're saying, I shouldn't be healing this man. It's not found anywhere in the law of God. Something They made up themselves. It's their interpretation of the law. And he's saying, look, you should be judged with righteous judgment according to the heart, according to the law of love. They had love for this man, therefore I healed him. And you should see my love for this man. It had nothing to do with me wanting to break the commandments of God, which I haven't done anyway. It's a law of love. But the principle here we can see is that we judge someone, we don't judge them according to appearance, but with righteous judgment. I always use an example in the open air to try to help someone explain what, what kind of judging is wrong. So, hypocritical judgment is wrong. Also, judging according to appearance is wrong. If I see a man walk by who has a pink shirt on, should I assume he's a homosexual? Because he's wearing a pink shirt? What, purple? No? Oh, come on. All guys who wear purple and pink are homosexuals, right? No. See, that would be judging according to appearance. Okay? It may not be your preference to wear pink or purple, but that doesn't mean someone's a homosexual for wearing pink or purple. Uh, So, that would be judging according to, not with righteous judgment. Now, if I ask the guy, are you a homosexual? And he says, yes. Now I have judged with righteous judgment. Now I can tell him, listen. As a homosexual, you're currently in your current state on your way to hell. You need to repent. Mm-hmm. And you know, the Bible says that out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. So if someone has filthy things come out of their mouth, blaspheming God's name, cuss words, uh, that's a sure sign of something wrong with the heart. And that's not judging according to appearance. It. That's judging with righteous judgment. Because Jesus said, out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. So that would be another case of righteous judgment, not judgment according to appearance. Now, when Samuel was... Uh, going forth and looking for the new king of Israel, and Saul had been rejected as the king, and he came to Jesse's house. What did Jesse do? He brought all the sons along and left, who out? David. Small little ruddy David. And uh, they were they were judging according to appearance. But Samuel didn't. He judged according to the heart. Because he was a man for God's own heart. That's who God chose, to rule over Israel. Okay, so we need to be careful we don't judge according to appearance. And then we see Romans chapter 2. And Romans chapter 2 is almost identical to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And uh, this time, it's... And what you see all throughout Romans, if you were to read through Romans, you need to be... This is a very important thing to understand. Otherwise, you will come up with some really bad interpretations of Romans 9 through 11. Okay? That Paul is, is talking a lot of times to the Jews and rebuking them for their attitude towards the Gentiles. Okay? Because they are judging hypocritically, and they are judging unrighteously according to appearance. But God wants a people from the Gentiles. Okay? So you need to get this down. So this we're going to see here in Romans chapter 2, verses 1. We'll read through verse uh, 11. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. Why? From whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know of the judgments of God as according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But according to your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up wrath for yourself in a day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self seeking do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish, and every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Paul's finding his idea that there's partiality with God because judgment will come to the Jews first because they have the most knowledge, the most benefit from God. Salvation came through them and then to the Greek. And if you read on, you'll see that the Jews... In verse 17, Indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and, and you know his will and approve the things that are excellent and being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and the instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Do you have abhor idols? Do you rob temples? You make your boast in the law. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So you see this issue all throughout Paul's writings, especially in Romans, where he's coming against this this division of Jew and Gentile. God's going to have some special kind of favor on the Jews, and he's going to judge the Gentiles more harshly. No, it's the other way around. But getting back to this judgment issue is what we see here in Romans two. Is that the same thing that Jesus is coming against in Romans, uh, Matthew seven one through five? Hypocritical judgment. Why are you judging someone when you're doing the very same thing? You're heaping judgment upon yourself, according to your hardness and your impenitent heart. You're a treasuring up wrath for yourself in a day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who rendered each one according to his deeds. Each one, not just the Gentiles, and that's what he's saying. So. That people I've met in the open air, they'll quote the first part of Romans 2.1. They'll say, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For whenever you, you judge another, you condemn yourself. They'll stop right there. If you stop right there, judging seems like a pretty bad thing to do. And that you're actually condemning yourself by judging people. But is that what Paul's saying here? No, if you even read the second part the last part of the verse. For you who judge... For you who judge practice the same things. And the ironic thing is that they'll come to me in the open air and they'll say they're sinning every day in thought word and deed. And they're even glorying in it. And then they'll condemn me for preaching the word of God. Now who is is this verse actually more applicable to? Me or them? Yes. Same thing with Matthew 7, 1-5. It's more applicable to them than it is to me according to their testimony and my testimony, of my life and of their life. They're judging themselves by doing so. So it's always important to read things in in context and not take little snippets here and there uh, about these issues. Romans chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. The kind of judging going on here. And this judging has to do with... uh, now we each have a relationship with God and God may tell you something that's not found in the scripture. that he hasn't told me he may tell to you uh, Kevin you, you aren't to ever watch TV again but he may never tell me that and therefore for Kevin to come to me and say Kerrigan you shouldn't be watching TV you're going to hell for watching TV it would be unrighteous judgment on his part that's what this passage is going to be talking about here sins of conscience so verse 1 receive one who is weak in the faith but not to disputes over doubtful things Talk about doubtful things here. No disputing over those things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you? This is a very important verse that people use in the open air who are coming against the idea of judging. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be able to make made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. That's a pretty good verse for the Sabbath holders, Sabbath keepers. Uh, Verse 6. He he who observes the day, observe it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God God things. And he who does not eat, to the Lord. He does not eat and gives God things. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord; if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Uh, for this end, Christ died and rose and lived, lived again, and he might be Lord, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why? Do, here's another important verse. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stone block or, to, or a cause or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So, there's lots of verses in there. If you just take them by themselves, and you don't read the context, it's going to say, don't judge at all. Don't judge your brother. Let God judge him. But the, the context is talking about Doubtful things in verse 1. Disputes over doubtful things. Over whether I should eat just vegetables or I should eat meat and vegetables. Whether I should uh, worship God on this day, set aside this day for God, or set aside every day for God. These are doubtful things, and what he means by doubtful things, things that the scripture hasn't been explicit about. So when the scripture isn't explicit about something, and you try to make it a rule or a law, you become just like a Pharisee. That's exactly what they did. They had the law, and they interpreted the law in such a way, and they, their interpretation is called the Talmud, and they got down to the Sabbath, you couldn't swallow your spit in the Sabbath, you couldn't tie your sandals on the Sabbath, you couldn't heal a man on the Sabbath. No, the law of love is what applies. And so there may be certain things, as we grow in grace, that God made we out of our lives. But those things are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves. But if God has spoken to your heart, it may be sinful for you. Because you must obey God. That's why verse 23 says of Romans 14. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So according to your faith, so be it unto you. So if I'm my faith, God is molding me and making me, he said, Kerrigan, this summer you're going to the UK. And I choose to... God provides the money for it. And I choose to spend that money on something else. Have I disobeyed God? But if God doesn't tell that to Brother John, and he goes there anyway, who has disobeyed God now? He has. So it's all a matter of faith and what God speaks to your heart as you lead, as you're led by him, and you're you're praying to him. And uh, so... We need to be sensitive to these issues and not impose our sanctification process upon our brothers and sisters in Christ who have not come to the same conclusions, or maybe they're babes in Christ and they haven't gotten there yet. Sometimes if you come to a babe in Christ and try to impose your sanctification process on them, it becomes rules to them, and then they become legalistic. I think their life is just a bunch of rules to obey. Not a relationship with God. Now the Bible explicitly says this is wrong. You should. Approach your brother or sister in Christ and, and try to reason with them about it. No problem with that. The Bible is not explicit about it. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. Okay? Alright, then there's also 1 Corinthians 2.15. Very important verse in this.
3: 1
0: Corinthians 2.15. And it says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, he himself is rightly judged by no one. So the man who is spiritual, and we talk, and in this passage, we're talking about carnal and spiritual, mature and immature, and the natural man, the spiritual man. The spiritual man who knows the mature things of God, he is spiritual. He himself is rightly judged by no man. Why is he rightly judged by no man? Because there's nothing to be judged in his life. And therefore, according to Matthew seven one through five, he's fit to judge all things. Of course, the heart of mercy towards people, wanting them to have mercy, not wanting to condemn them. You know, and we another thing we need to be careful in the open air. That God's convicted me of in the past is that if we tell someone you're on your way to hell, we need to make sure they understand they're not guaranteed to go there, but in their current state, they're on their way to hell. And sometimes I've seen the open air in the past, people have been confused regarding that. They think that automatically I'm saying, you're going to hell, because they'll say, well, haven't you done these things? I say, yeah, well, then you're going to hell too, they'll say. I say, no, but I, I've repented. I have the mercy of God, and so can you. So you need to understand that as well. They're not unconditionally condemned before God. That's the Calvinist God, not, not the Christian God, or the God of the Bible. Okay. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, which backs up everything we've seen so far, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, starting in verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, talking about Christian and Christian here, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know the saints will judge the world? If the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? Do you not know how he, that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. is, Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why... Do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. And he goes on to say, you know, the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he gives a list. And such some of you. So this issue is talking about a brother and brother, Christian brothers, having an earthly dispute. It's not a dispute about uh, the Bible. Maybe some dispute about possessions. Maybe someone signed a contract with someone who wasn't fulfilling it. And instead of them settling it in the church, having a wise man in the church arbitrate or become a judge over the situation to settle it, they go to the unrighteous judge, the law, the non-Christian, the non-Christian judge. Now the whole world is seeing this non-Christian judge settle a dispute between two Christian brothers. That brings shame to God. Shame to Christ's name doesn't exalt him at all. And Paul says, wouldn't you not rather be cheated? They bring shame to God? But unfortunately, many Christian businessmen would rather God be cheated than they be cheated. Rather God gets shamed than they be cheated out of some money. That's the wrong philosophy when it comes to business. This is what the Bible talks about. So, the judging here... Uh, is talking about judging between two brothers on an earthly issue. So it's not really applicable in that sense, but it does say here that the saints will judge the world. Now, if we're going to judge the world, first of all, we have to be saints, holy ourselves. This means we're falling into the Matthew 7, 1-5 category of not being a hypocrite. And then we're fit to judge. And if we're going to judge the world, surely we can tell people today, listen, in your current state, I'm warning you, you're on your way to hell. To righteous judgment. You're trying to warn them so they can come and be a part of the saints who will then judge the world, not be part of the people who are going to be judged themselves. Okay? And let's see, I think there was one more passage I want to look at, I think. Nope, I think that, oh, oh, I wanted to point out that um, this whole judge not issue, what you see, just say 10-15 verses later, in Matthew 15, Jesus is basically telling the judge in Matthew 7:15 He says, uh, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wealth. You will know them by their fruits. So we're called the judge. If I go to the, an apple tree in the backyard, I'm going to look at the fruit and say, oh, that's no good. When I go to the store and pick up fruit, good apple, good tomato, bag of oranges, oh, there's some bad ones in there, that didn't turn out really good. Put them back. I buy the ones that are good. I'm making judgment calls on it. That's what Jesus is saying about people's lives. You will know them by their fruits. You have to make a judgment call. So for someone to say, Matthew 7 1 is saying, don't ever judge, it's going to contradict what Jesus says 14 verses later in verse 15 of Matthew 7. That you will know them by their fruits, or verse 16. Okay, let me look at verse 6. The last verse of this passage it says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. To trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Okay, now there's different interpretation of this this verse. Okay, and I'm going to give you a couple. Now in the past I've always believed that this was uh, us referring to people who are dogs, people who are who are who are swine or pigs. That uh, I shouldn't give them what is holy and give them the pearl of the gospel. But I think maybe I, I that may be a stretch. Okay. Um, Giving what is holy to dogs. What is holy is most likely referring to the things eaten in the temple. It's the things brought to the, the priests for their, their tithe, and they eat it. It'd be like them taking the holy thing that's been consecrated to God and throwing it out in the street to the dogs. And dogs in those days weren't like your, you know, pet dog caffeine, or like Mongols. even like blue in the backyard, huh? Mongols. Yeah, they were mongrels. They were like wild wolves or coyotes. They were scavengers. And, uh... From what I understand, back in those days, the dogs would growl at you whether you gave them food or you didn't give them food. They would growl at you. They were very mean savage animals. And uh, so they were considered filthy, unclean. Of course, you wouldn't eat dogs because they would, eat, they would scavenge food themselves. So it would be like giving the, the, uh, the food in the temple and giving it to dogs. Or it would be like uh, casting pearls to swine. Now, the little tiny pearls that come out sometimes, the ones that I haven't fully grown, they look just like the food that pigs eat. So if like throwing throwing little pearls to them, and they find out it's not food, they're not going to eat it. They're going to trample on their feet, and they come running after you. And if I understand properly, up to this day, there are still wild swine in the Jordan River area. And they're, they're pretty angry and pretty mean. If, if I've watched videos of, you know, pigs out in the wild. They're pretty nasty. And they have a hard bite, and they, they can hurt you very badly. Uh, sometimes they have tusks, too. That can really... Well, alpha big tusks, tusks that can endanger you, so you've got to be uh, careful about that in a while sometimes. But this, I think that's what he's referring to here. But what, what, what he's saying here is once you have removed the plank from your own eye, you've acknowledged that, you removed it, now you can see, now you decide what to give these people who have a speck in their eye. you need to figure out the right diagnosis, the right plan of removal. Um, I don't necessarily think it means that you, you don't give the gospel to certain people uh, if I give the gospel to people, I don't, first of all, I don't know their hearts. And what's going on, on the outside? I don't know their hearts. There's been times at certain college campuses, UNC Greensboro, the first one because of mine, Virginia Commonwealth University, another one, where I've preached there in a couple semesters, five or six times, and it's just been bad response, bad response, it's been really bad, and I've come to the point where I've almost Matthew 10, shaking the dust off my feet and walked away, I've never gone back to that campus. But I don't, you know, I don't know the hearts of those listeners. I'm, just, I'm basing it upon what I see on the outside, and there's a possibility that maybe one person listening, and therefore it is worth it. So I, I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying here, um, don't give the gospel to certain people. Um, obviously, the principle stands, law to the proud, grace to the humble. Very biblical principle. And if, if someone is proud about their sin, and their heart about their sin, they're not showing any kind of humility in their heart, in their face, in their countenance, you give them law, sin, judgment. Hell. That's what you give them. Until they humble themselves. And you see humility, then you give them the grace, the mercy of the cross, forgiveness, mm-hmm. eternal life. But so when you're preaching to a huge crowd of people, you're giving them the whole spectrum because there's a whole spectrum of people out there. It's people who are humble, people who are proud. So you're giving all of it to all of them because you can't you can't, you know, uh, critique, you can't narrow down your message to one person. You're preaching to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. But verse 6 requires you to judge. No matter what way you interpret it, it requires you to judge. To either either you give them the right thing to them, this is the way they are, I need to give them this. Because, you know, I know that just as I know that the holy food is not good to dogs, and I don't cast pearls and swine, because they'll trample on their feet and and turn and tear me to pieces. I don't give this to this person. You know, if if they're if they're proud I give them I give them love. If they're humble, I give them grace. So you're making a decision, you're making a judgment based upon their countenance, the way they are, what kind of speck they have in their eye, how bad it is. As a good surgeon of Jesus Christ, you're making a decision on what to give them, which is a judgment call. And if you take this passage the way I've taken it in the past, you're still making a judgment call. And where this person is a reprobate or not. Some people would say this is you know, pigs and swine talking stuff reprobates, and if you go to Second Peter 2, this is the other passage that I know of that you see swine, and dogs, mentioned in the same verse. And it's talking about those, and Second 2 Peter 2.20 says, For if, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world for knowledge of, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, so they were a Christian, now they're entangled again in sin and overcome, their latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has, been, it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his vomit, and a sow, a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So that's the only passage, only passage I know of that talks about the pigs and the, the dogs in the same passage. And um, it's comparing them, and maybe that gives some, I don't know, some credence to this interpretation of someone being a, a reprobate, someone who's turned from the faith, turned from the holy commandment, and gone back to their, their vomit, their wallowing in the mud. So, I think that's about it. I think that's about it. Does anyone have um, any questions or any comments uh, regarding uh, this passage today or anything they want to add to it? Uh, I, I think this very last part
3: you're talking about is really important for us to connect because um, we see out in the open air that the people that are the worst to deal with the most difficult people that we have to deal with out there are the people who who see they're, claim, they're claiming Christ and they're living in sin all the time right. and they're trying to suppress the preaching as much as they can right. and they're doing almost anything uh, to stop it because uh, it seems like they, they just uh, they're, they're acting like these pigs and dogs described in these, these parables and, and I don't maybe this is the the one that really applies to this particular uh, I know you explained the different views but uh, when I think about you know why why give the grace to the the dogs and the swine that have have already had the grace and now they're they're trampling their they've shipwrecked their faith and they're trampling blood of Christ and they would trample you too and now you're trying to give them God's grace and mercy and they need to just be, you know, just I I, I try I, I lately uh, especially have been trying just to just not deal with them at all, go to the people that are right, you know, listening and or a little more uh, soft in their conscience because uh, I have never put that together those
0: two passages but it really is
3: uh, quite compelling to think of it that way.
0: The hypocrites are in my mind are the hardest people to reach. Um, I'd rather preach to people in the Northeast never heard of any day, or people in the U.K. I've heard reports from Kevin Gordon and stuff like that. Right. I'd rather preach to those people any day. The hypocrisy, you have to convince them they're not saved first. They've already been convinced by someone that they're saved in spite of their sin. And then you have to help them get saved. So you have to give them law, judgment, and sin, and hell. But at the same time, they're saying they're saved all along. And they're condemning you for preaching that, that message to people who are not saved. So it's a very, it's a very difficult, they're probably the most difficult people in the world to preach to. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, uh, because they, they really are convinced in their own mind, through false teaching, through their pastor, maybe who's told them wicked things, that they are saved. They're okay with God. And, um, but either way, we need to make a judgment call on what to give to them. Whether they are the actual pigs or their dogs talk about in Matthew 7, 6 or not, there is a determination here in what to give. And we know, we don't give what is holy to dogs, and the Jewish concept here, and we don't cast pearls of swine, because they're going to turn and tear you to pieces, and the dogs don't care about what's holy; They're just filthy, savage animals. So we're still making a determination of what to give the person who has a speck in their eye, and what to do. You know, different time, different splinters take different procedures. Different, different
3: physical conditions, or spiritual require a different, a different medicine or different treatments. Right.
2: You know, I just had the thought of Jesus before Herod, and had nothing to say to him. Right. You didn't give him anything. Right. You know, you didn't give him any, any. Don't give what's holy to dogs. Right. Because uh, he was going to trample it anyway. Right. He showed his heart. You know. Right. And uh, there's times, I think, I know, you know, the verse in Proverbs where it says, don't answer a fool in his folly. Right.
0: Yeah, there's actually two different verses that say the exact opposite thing. That's the things. opposite thing. That so is an that, answer, a fool. An answer, so I think what it's saying there, and I talk about this in my video on presuppositional apologetics, is that when you're answering a fool, you don't answer him according to his folly. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's being mocking to you, doesn't mean you need to, need to uh, give him, uh, answer him according to his folly and give him grace and give him mercy. That would be answering him according to his folly. But maybe responding to rebuke or even mocking back would be answering him according to his folly. See how that works? So, you know, in open air, sometimes an atheist will come to me and say, well, I got this proof and that proof and that proof that God doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go down the evidential proof route. I'm going down the presuppositional route. So, listen, I'm going to destroy your foundation out from under you and show you, I'm not going to respond to you according to your folly because you think it's all about evidence. Okay, yeah. I'm going uh, respond to you according to your folly, which means that I'm going to destroy your foundation from under you and reveal your folly. Okay. You know, so that's the way I've always looked at it is that you're not... Uh, responding the way they would want you to respond. You respond the way they need you to respond mm-hmm. according to their father to kind of wake them up and jar them uh, out of what they're doing. And then there, would there be a time like Jesus before Herod you just don't even... That's so right. You don't even give them anything. That's right. What, what case would that be, do you think? Um, situation you it's, it, you know, there's nice. people in the open air who... And it has to be discerned, I think. Yeah. Um, who will just be mockers or scoffers and if I think there's someone in the crowd who would, who would benefit from me answering their question I'll answer it but if they're just being mockers and scoffers or they're someone who's trying to distract from the real issue I'm ignoring them and it, you'll hear them say something like this well Jesus wouldn't ignore people and say so I even ignore that even though I could respond to that as, listen no he, he does not he ignore people sometimes yeah. Yeah, there's, 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 sometimes he just gives an answer direct answer sometimes he gives no answer sometimes he answers a question with the question Sometimes he responds with a rebuke, sometimes he responds with grace. So, mm-hmm. Jesus has all these spectrum responses mm-hmm. to different people. We need to have all those we need to spectrum. What to give. Right. So that's
2: what we're talking about.
0: Right. Sometimes, sometimes
2: it's, it's nothing, sometimes it's one thing or another. That's right. That Lord will give us. That is sometimes something.
0: it's rebuke, sometimes it's grace, sometimes it's responding with a question, a parable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all different ways to respond to people when they ask you questions question or talking to you, and you need to respond according to their condition, according to the speck they have on their eye. And be a good servant of Jesus Christ.
3: That was a point I was going to bring up is that all that, you kind of mentioned it, just being discerning. Right. And as we, I've been out there at times where the Holy Spirit put on my heart and mind this guy's in pornography. Yeah. And I'll call him out and it'll shock him. Right. I don't do that for everybody. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think maybe sometimes I don't listen enough in the open air to the Holy Spirit beating me. I need to focus on that too, but. The Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. This person is in this condition. This person just lost their mother. This person, you know, they're standing there in shock because you're talking about death and their mom died last night. Right. And they need need some comfort. They need some ministry to that end right right now. Right.
0: And uh, so we're just really going to be just walking the Spirit. I mean, that's just the we can't go about the motions in the open air. Obviously, we have a message to preach, and the message is going to be generally the same. And where we go, like I said we need to walk in the spirit and, and be careful. And uh, maybe God will give us a word of knowledge, like you're referring to, and and it uh, can be useful even even more to ministry of people, specifically. That's a good um, point. I have a different question on
3: the area you were teaching. We're talking about things that, that we're being sanctified about, whether it's Christmas or some other particular issue, of course, worth working on in our lives. We. Right now, I'm of a position I think we should still try and persuade our brethren. If we think the, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us or taught us about a particular issue, mm-hmm. and that's the truth, mm-hmm. then we should try and persuade brethren at the same time not condemning them, because they're not at that position, or they, they don't understand that view yet.
0: Yeah, that's the difference. Right. That's the difference there, is that... Uh, if you're taking your sanctification and saying it's sin for someone else when they haven't been convinced of it, or maybe they're ignorant of the facts, uh, then that's wrong. Uh, but even then, I mean, there's people who may choose on December twenty-fifth to celebrate Jesus' birth in this world, and they know it wasn't when he was born. Um, they have nothing to do with Christmas trees, or maybe they take Christmas trees and they have some kind of, they use it in a symbolic way. Uh, I don't, I don't think that means they're sinning. Even if, they have, even if they have all the facts. you know. So we must come to our own decision based on this issue. And I, I, really don't, I know Jeremiah 10 really pops out there, but that wasn't talking about Christmas. I know Christmas has a lot of similarities to that, but I don't think that was talking about Christmas. So we can't use that as a proof text. So look, if you're putting a tree up in your house, you're, you're a pagan. and You're going to hell. It, it's judged by someone's hearts here. So we need to be real careful about this. And it's good to share information with brothers in Christ. But even after you share information, unless it's a clear-cut thing, uh, which, these, which is what we're talking about. These are doubtful things we're talking about here Romans Romans uh, We need to let them decide for themselves.
1: You
0: know, if, if they're getting caught up in all the covetousness, right. they need to be told. That's sin. That's sin. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if this Christmas thing you're celebrating has nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the incarnation of Christ, nothing to do with glorifying God, and they're racking up credit card debt and putting up all the trees and lights and spending all this time with these these little blow up things they have in their yard with Santa Claus and everything else. And they need to be told that's wrong. And they need to make a change. Uh, but I still think there's a loophole there concerning that specific issue when it comes to these things. And um, you know, I, like that's the sort of thing that set up my on my Facebook. I said, you know, All you people who are anti Christmas and anti anti Christmas, and those people who are so against it, they're condemning people to hell for celebrating, and those who are so against those who are condemnable that they're just saying Merry Christmas out of spite and doing all the things out of spite and not doing it for the glory of God, they're both in the wrong. They're both in the wrong. And um, personally, I, I don't think I'll ever celebrate Christmas again. You know, uh, my, my mom, she still celebrates it to some degree, and so do my other family, and, and um, I'll probably send her some more information about this issue for the future. Um, I might never celebrate Jesus' birthday ever again. I don't know. If I do, I'm going to do it closer to the day he was actually born. I think he was actually born. It could be October. Or it's a small possibility. It could be in April. I think it's more possible October. But um, anyway, that's good Good to bring that up. Um, in, in Acts chapter 15, I think
3: that's the uh, Council of Jerusalem. Uh, yep. And they, they gave some instruction to the Gentile believers. Right. Um, don't eat blood or eat food. Well, things strangled. As, uh, I was, and uh, anything beyond that, would that just be for that circumstance or for
0: all Gentiles after
3: Acts 15?
0: Well, that's a good question. Um, it's something I thought about for quite some time, about this issue when these commands they gave them about what they should do. I think referring to the blood, I think it's just referring to you know, the fact that in God's eyes, Leviticus 17.11, going back to that. And the blood was given, not for drinking, not for eating, but for atonement for your souls. That's uh, so what blood was given for. So, you know, Hebrews 9.22 says it says something very similar. about this. Most things are purified or cleansed by blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, I think there's just a value in God's eyes, in the Old Testament and New Testament, not just Old Testament, of how valuable the blood is. And the life is in the blood. So um, I think those things would apply. And, and some of those things are things we shouldn't be doing anyway. we know we shouldn't be That's probably the only thing in there that I think, can think of that would, would be a uh, command that's not given like in First Corinthians 6, nine and ten and at least away not eating things that have blood still strangled. So I, I think that would apply across the board because it was given Gentiles. I don't think it was Gentiles at that time. But there is a very sensitive issue going on in this early church issue where the Jews who were saved were having a hard time understanding that Gentiles do not have to become Jews to be saved. Justified for God. And um, justification is by faith, uh, through grace, through the blood of Jesus. Um, or by grace through faith, I mean. But not only that, when we read right at Romans 2 passage today, did you, did you catch what it said there? not those who are hearers of the law or are justified, but those who are doers of the law. So the Jews were hearers. But the ones Paul is talking to were not doers. Therefore they were not justified before God. And that's part of the problem they had in Linux too 2. And last point.
3: I'm sorry. To sorry? So much today, but, um, like the Jews will be judged greater for their knowledge uh, than the Gentiles, do you think that the Christians Christ, believe the Bible, and standing a strict judgment then, the you know, got an atheist on the street, the guys never believed, He grew up in a secular home, and, right. and never had, no one read a story to him. Right. anything for them.
0: Yeah, uh, the Bible is clear that this, and Jesus talked about, I'll just, I'll just give you some references to some scripture book, I won't read them, where Jesus is talking about this judgment according to knowledge here, and um, you see it all throughout Matthew. You see it in, in uh, let's see, Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. Uh, you see it in Matthew ten fifteen. You see it in Matthew 12, 41, and 42. You also see it in uh, the Gospel according to John. Where Jesus says that they had no sin. If they were not aware of their sin, they would have no sin. Let's see, that's in uh, John 9 41. If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Those are some scriptures that, that really clearly mark out that the more knowledge you have, the more accountability you have. The more knowledge you have and you don't obey, the more condemnation you have. So Christians, Professing Christians have more knowledge than even the Jews had. The mystery of the gospel <clears> made unto us. The gospel of grace the Jews weren't aware of until the Jesus came into the world and the apostles started preaching and Paul started preaching. That's when they became aware. The more knowledge you have, the more accountability you have. So if someone has already decided in their heart and mind they're never going to become a Christian, they better never read the Bible. Or they're going to make it worse than themselves. But even then, access to knowledge brings more accountability than those who have no access to knowledge. So the atheist says, I'm never going to become a Christian, therefore I'm not going to read the Bible, so I'll have less judgment. They will still have more judgment than a person who is an atheist somewhere who has no access to knowledge. So we have greater access, greater knowledge, greater accountability, greater condemnation for knowledge not obeyed. That's the way God judges. And that's why babies have no sin in God's eyes. Because they have no knowledge, no understanding. Even though they may do sinful things at times, God doesn't hold it against them because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So. All right, is that
2: it. One last thing. Sure, brother. The verse is this. see if you have I was looking for I could find it. I don't know where it is. Judge nothing before his time, or something. There's there's a verse that talks about that. Judge nothing before the time.
1: Right.
0: Yes. To, to,
2: to do in the right way. Right. And God has the ultimate
0: power to judge. Right, that's a good
3: point. But I was
2: I was thinking that verse came in the line. I, couldn't find, I was searching
0: everywhere for it. So yeah. It sounds like that might be in Revelation, maybe.
2: Yeah.
3: But I can't
0: remember I'll exactly
2: look, what it is. I'll do. look it up, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a good point, though, that when we're judging the open air or we're witnessing to a lost sinner, we're not telling them, I'm going to cast you into hell or I have the power to cast you. We're really just warning them of God's judgment. Right flee the wrath to come. Yes. Uh, and in doing so we are judging to some degree in a, certain, a different way than the way God's going to judge who has the final judgment but the uh, Bible tells us how he will judge and therefore we are judging in that manner by saying listen, God is going to judge you yes. these people are not entering the kingdom of God we need to stop this and follow Jesus repent and believe the gospel So, good point brother yeah, I meant to mention that but I, I don't forget forgot i guess but I appreciate-